So we are going to be in Jonah chapter one, and we are going to read the whole chapter. So last week we uh, read just the first three verses, but we're going to do uh, the entire chapter tonight. So we'll be there in just a second. Um, if you have, if you've heard me speak, you probably have heard enough stories about me being a lax bro growing up. You know, I grew up in Jersey and so, you know, I have different stories and probably for my own vanity, just love telling stories about that. Uh, but there's another part of my identity from my childhood that I don't talk about as often. And it's that I was also a skater boy. So kind of a, a random collection of, of identities. I also liked emo music. So I was just, I was just a mess growing up, but uh, the, <laughs> the, the reality of being a skater boy, there's a lot of embarrassment there, but, but part of that embarrassment was how immature me and my friends were uh, related to kind of being proud as skateboarders. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard or used the term poser. This was, this was like the ultimate diss from skateboarder to skateboarder. A poser in the skateboarding world was someone who, you know, got the skateboard shoes, had all the gear, had the, the shirt, uh, you know, with whatever company, but they didn't really skateboard or they weren't all that good. So me and my, my friends would use that as like the ultimate diss towards someone else. Uh, and yes, it is as immature as it sounds. Uh, but, but it was, it also, you know, in that immaturity, it felt good to, to be able to call someone out, call them a poser, and then convince ourselves that we were something special as if we were great skateboarders. Don't worry, we were awful. The, uh, the reason I talk about being a poser and bring up this embarrassing past of mine is uh, that kind of, that kind of call out. If you can imagine being called out as being a poser, that's sort of what Jonah as a whole book is about, but it's much more of a gracious call out and it's not anywhere near as immature as I was in middle school, but it's written in particularly to, to expose people who just talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And, and more specifically, it's, it's written to expose religious people for self-righteousness and for rebellion. And, and we saw a little bit of, of that last week. And tonight we're gonna go even deeper into that. And, and tonight specifically, the, 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 the posing that's gonna be exposed in Jonah chapter one is how uh, easy it is for us to become apathetic in the face of suffering. Uh, as Sarah was kind of sharing, and, and as that song helped us do, uh, to, to feel the pain and to feel the suffering and to recognize hardship in the lives of others is something that we're called to as Christians, but it's something that we really struggle to do consistently. And, and I'm coming from a place of humility tonight. I have really struggled with this, especially now in the midst of the coronavirus. So I hope that you will have an open heart to be humbled again by the book of Jonah here in chapter one, as it calls us to move from apathy to action, especially now. So let's read Jonah chapter one, verses one through 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So as we look at this passage, I want to point out two things that we see here, because this passage hinges on a huge contrast. As it looks at the mariners, the sailors, we see appropriate fear. But then in the life of Jonah, we see apathetic faith. So first, let's, let's talk about the appropriate fear. Do you notice the first thing that the sailors fear is the storm? They're fearing the storm. Notice uh, what happens because of Jonah running. Remember, verses one through three, Jonah's called to go to Nineveh and he decides to go the other way. Verse four, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest so that the ship threatened to break up. So there's this huge storm that, that God sends. I mean, it's a big storm. And look at how uh, the mariners respond. They were afraid. Then if you look down in verse 10, uh, again, as they, as they talk to Jonah, we, we get an amplified amount of fear. It says they were exceedingly afraid. Do you notice as they're afraid what they're doing to kind of handle the situation? Verse five, uh, they're crying out to their gods. They're hurling cargo into the, the sea to lighten the weight of the ship. Verse seven, they're, they're casting lots, which is kind of like an ancient form of gambling, rolling dice. They're trying to figure out uh, whose fault this is. Then in, in verse 13, they're, they're rowing hard to try to get back to dry land. These guys are doing everything they can to get out of the storm. And it's important to realize, remember, these guys are, are mariners. These guys are, are sailors. They know the sea. This wouldn't have been their first storm that they've encountered. 
And so considering their expertise, considering their experience, their fear is appropriate. I mean, this storm is a bad storm. And I think it's fitting uh, that we're reading about this tonight because uh, our circumstances, the storm of the coronavirus is a bad storm. It continues to increase and get worse. And you might feel that the ship is threatening to break up. I want to encourage you not to sweep those feelings under the rug and brush them aside. It is appropriate to be concerned in these days. You know, biblical faith acknowledges the reality of brokenness and suffering and hardship. You are not a lesser or weaker Christian for being concerned about what's going on. Actually, that's the appropriate response. And so for now, before we we go any further, just know that it is okay and it's appropriate to acknowledge the reality of the storm that we're in. That's what the, the mariners are doing here in this passage. But do you also see in this passage that there's a second fear in this story. There's a second thing that they end up fearing, a greater fear that they end up having. They end up fearing the Lord. Do you notice in verse five that their fear causes a spiritual response? You see that they, they all, they each cried out to his own God. Then in verse six, that the captain goes and finds Jonah and tells him to do the same. He says, call out to your God. You see, this represents the, the culture of the time. It was a, it was a polytheistic culture. You know, they, they believed in many different gods, many different religions. And, and here, uh, you know, we're also seeing something very normal about suffering, that when you experience hardship, when you experience difficulties, when you go through a storm, it, it presses you to confront what you believe in. It shakes everything away and shakes you down to your foundation to question where does your hope truly lie? Whether it's atheism or Buddhism or Christianity, circumstances of of uncertainty bring you to the foundation that you base your life on. But this storm in particular takes these mariners from a shaky foundation and puts them onto a strong foundation. Do you see the whole experience of the mariners here? In verse five, they begin crying out each to their own God. But look at verse 14. They end up calling out to the Lord. In verse five, they were afraid. In verse 10, they were exceedingly afraid. But then in verse 15, they fear the Lord exceedingly. Their fears transfer from fearing the storm to fearing the Lord. And when the Bible talks about fear in this way, it's not being scared of God. It's a reverence and a respect and an awe. And you see that in verse 16, as they fear the Lord, they offer sacrifice and they make vows. At the end of this story, they're worshiping the Lord. You see, this experience moves these men from wandering to worship. They're transformed. Their appropriate fear of the storm presses them to land in a place of appropriate fear of the Lord. And so for those of you who are experiencing anxiety and uncertainty and sadness and fear, as I already said, don't shove those things down. Be honest about your panic and your pain. 
but also fight for trust in the God who has control over the storm. These mariners give us a picture of what worship is. It's, it's at the intersection of hardship and hope. It's fearing the storm and fearing the Lord. That's where worship happens. It's that collision between suffering and God's sovereignty where authentic and true worship happens, where true hope is found. And so if, if that's you, uh, it's appropriate to feel the things that you're feeling, but let that push you into trust in the Lord. And for those of you who may not be experiencing uh, that sort of uncertainty yet, may you pray for others that they would experience this same transformation, that they would move from a place of fearing the storm to a place of fearing the Lord in the midst of it. Pray that in the midst of real hardship, others would encounter the living God who offers true hope. This is the appropriate fear that Jonah chapter 1 shows us. And it, it truly is amazing to see this transformation. But the most amazing thing that the author is trying to get us to see is Jonah's reaction in the midst of all of it. Because in unbelievable and ironic contrast, while these guys are going through this spiritual transformation and journey, Jonah is in, entirely apathetic. So let's talk about the second thing. Let's look at apathetic faith, because I think this is the piece of the story that's really going to challenge and motivate us towards change. As you look at Jonah, there's three, three evidences for his apathy. He's apathetic towards other suffering. He's apathetic towards his own personal sin, and he's apathetic towards God's sovereignty. Notice first his apathy towards the suffering of others. Did you see what Jonah is doing as these guys are freaking out and throwing stuff overboard. Look at verse five. The mariners are afraid, each crowd to his God. They're hurling cargo over to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. These sailors are fighting for their lives and Jonah is taking a nap. Jonah is asleep. And not to mention, this storm is Jonah's fault. And look at how the tables turn. So this, this unbelieving captain, as he confronts Jonah in verse 6, do you notice that he says the same thing to Jonah that God said to Jonah earlier in the, in the story? In verse 2, God said to Jonah, arise. And then this unbelieving captain in verse 6 says the same thing arise. Both God and this captain are trying to wake Jonah up from his slumber. He's, he's completely detached from the suffering around him. He's sleeping through the storm that he's caused, and his own comfort is more important to him than the calamity of others. You see, where God's people are called to bless, he has brought a curse upon those around him. He's sleeping through their suffering. The second evidence of his apathy is that he's apathetic towards his personal sin. There's another word re repeated between the Lord and the guys on the ship. So uh, in verse 2, Jonah is called to go call out to Nineveh, for their evil has come up before me. Do you notice the word evil comes up again? Look at verse 7. 
the, the, the mariners say, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Then in verse eight, they say to Jonah, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. So, so the, the sailors are, are, are in, into the, this whole idea that, that evil is to blame for the storm. Someone has done something to cause this. And they confront Jonah. Now, this is important to realize because remember why Jonah is running from Nineveh. It's not because he's scared of the Ninevites. As we learn later in chapter four, he doesn't want them to be saved. He thinks that their evil is beyond the reach of God's grace. And yet he's totally fine with his own evil affecting other people. He's apathetic toward his own personal sin. You see, while Jonah was supposed to call out evil of another nation, these unbelieving sailors end up calling him out for his evil. But it, but it goes even further. Do you notice in verse 11 that they are the ones who are trying to figure out a solution to the problem? They're taking responsibility for Jonah's actions. They're the ones who are trying to, to problem solve. But then it goes even further. Look at verse 14. Once they finally agree to throw Jonah overboard, which they're understandably hesitant about, they ask for God to cleanse them. They say, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. In a sense, they're repenting and asking for forgiveness here. In dramatic irony, the sailors take their sin and Jonah's sin seriously while Jonah is unmoved by his own evil. Now, it might seem uh, that Jonah uh, is, is seeking to absolve himself by suggesting that he gets thrown overboard. And a lot of times that's how this story is told, that this is a moment of redemption for Jonah. He's sacrificing himself uh, for the sailors. And, and that's a potential way to interpret this story. But, but I want to propose a different way of reading this, because in chapter four, uh, we learn how much Jonah hates people who are not of Israel, how much he disdains other people. And the second thing that we learn in chapter four is he's apathetic towards his own life. He asks the Lord uh, to relieve him of living. He asks for God to take his life. And so uh, Jonah is one, he doesn't care about other people and he doesn't even care about living. And so I think that him suggesting to get thrown overboard could potentially be another sign of his extreme apathy towards living, towards others, and especially towards his own sin. Because if he gets thrown overboard, in his mind, he's thinking, I, I don't have to go to Nineveh still. I'm, 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 off, I'm off the hook. Regardless of how we interpret that specific moment, this, this story shows Jonah's apathy towards his personal sin. He's got a small view of his own evil, but a huge view of the evil of others. The third uh, point of his apathy is God's sovereignty. He's apathetic towards the sovereignty of God. Re remember that Jonah isn't just running from Nineveh. We see three times in this passage that he's running from the presence of the Lord. You see it twice in that first paragraph that we talked about last week. 
But then we see it again in verse 10. The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he's, he's trying to get away from God. He's trying to get away from the Lord altogether. But did you notice as the sailors interrogate him in verse 8, do you notice the irony of what he says? Look at Jonah's mini sermon in verse 9. <laughs> he's answering the question who he is, where he's from. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Do you understand why the sailors freak out after that statement? This huge storm that's happening around them, Jonah's saying, yeah, I, I worship the God who made the sea. <laughs> like the, the amount of irony in that little sermon is, is unbelievable. But do you notice that he uses the word fear? He says he fears God. Talk about an understatement or just a blatant lie of hypocrisy. He says he fears the Lord, but his actions are showing the complete opposite. He believes that God made all things, that God controls all things, but his life is totally unaffected by that reality. He's apathetic towards God's sovereignty. See, Jonah serves us here as an example of apathetic faith. He's unmoved by the suffering of others. He's unaffected by the sin in his own life, and he's underwhelmed by the sovereignty of God. Everyone else around him is telling him to rise up, but he's spiraling downward. You notice where he starts and where he ends. His journey is one of downward. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the ship. He goes down to the inner part. He lays down. Then he gets thrown down into the ocean and down into a belly of a fish. Jonah's spiraling downward because of his apathy. You know, I don't think that uh, Disney had Jonah in mind necessarily when they made The Lion King, but there are uh, a couple really unique similarities between Jonah and Simba. Remember that Simba runs away from home, he plans to never return, and then he ends up living the easy life, Akuna Matata. And then his old friend, Nala, his childhood friend finds him and she ends up confronting him and she begs him to come back to Pride Rock to help. Listen to what she says. She says, everything is destroyed. There's no food, no water. If you don't come back, everyone will starve. Nala is, is trying to get Simba to rise up in the midst of the storm. And listen to how Simba responds. This could be Jonah's response. Hakuna Matata. Sometimes bad things happen and there's nothing you can do about it. So why worry? You see, as Jonah looked at other sufferings, his own sin and God's sovereignty, it's as if he shrugged his shoulders and just said, Hakuna Matata. He's overwhelmingly apathetic. And friends, this passage, this story was written to be a wake-up call for you and me. In the same way that Nala confronts Simba, in the same way that the captain confronts Jonah, this story is confronting us and calling us to arise from our apathy in the midst of this storm. And I'm, uh, I need to be called out just as much as anyone in this room. For those of us who have so far been insulated from the direct impacts of the coronavirus, 
It's really easy to be unaffected and unmoved by the suffering that's, that's going on. It's, it's easy to even treat God's sovereignty as a reason to say, hakuna matata. But the gospel calls us to something bigger. The gospel calls us to have an appropriate concern, but to move from apathy to action in the midst of what's going on. And so uh, allow this passage to call you and to call me to arise from apathy in the midst of this storm. Let me, let me conclude us uh, with just three practical ways that we can do this, because it's kind of hard to think about what does action look like uh, right now? Because in a sense, it feels like we should be in the belly of the ship, socially distancing. But I want to I point out three ways that we can move from apathy to action in light of what's going on. The first way is this, listen. Listen to what's going on in the world around us. Read the news. Read the news often. Pay attention to what's happening, to, to the stories that people are sharing, both the good and the bad, the, the encouraging and the devastating. Take note of what others are suffering, whether it's healthcare workers, those who are sick, those who are grieving, those who have lost their jobs, those who are being overlooked. Don't tune out to the storm that's happening. Listen and pay attention. And as you listen and as you pay attention, the second thing is this, pray. Pray. More specifically, I would say lament. As we see suffering around us, cry out to the Lord on the behalf of others. Grieve these circumstances and ask God to act. I, I highly recommend that you check out Psalm 10 because Psalm 10 is a, is a psalm of someone looking at suffering and oppression and injustice and asking God, what are you doing? And asking God to rise up and, and act and listen to the cries of those who are afflicted. God's sovereignty over the storm does not mean that we stay silent or say hakuna matata. It, it begs us to lament and to pray. The third thing is this. So we listen, we pray, and we help. The last thing is to help. And, and I know this is a tricky one because uh, the, the first and primary way that we can help is to stay inside, is to socially distance, wash your hands, don't go out if you don't need to go out. The first and primary way that we can help is submitting to the authorities and listening to what people are telling us to do to flatten the curve, which is a little ironic considering Jonah. Jonah did the wrong thing by staying inside. You can actually help by staying inside. But don't let it end at that. I know that we need to get creative, but we can do more than just wash our hands and socially distance. Do you know anyone who's working in healthcare? Do you know anyone on the front lines? Ask them how they're doing. Ask them how you can be praying for them. Encourage them in what they're doing and the burden that they are bearing. And one thing I appreciate about uh, my wife right now is that she's looking into local agencies so we can figure out who can we give money to, to help those who are in need. And I know that you guys are college students and I know that most, if not all of you don't have an income right now, but 
if you do have anything that you can give, consider giving to local agencies, to different nonprofits. There are restaurants that are doing pay it forward meals for people in need. Think about the stimulus check that might come in the mail. I know that we're at different financial spots right now, but if you can spare some, if not all of that, imagine what can be done if we're generous with that check. You can help a lot of people. I know that in, in some places, donating blood is a huge need right now. Or, or you can give to your local church or ask your local church or figure out in your community, what are some other needs uh, that you might be able to help? So get creative, start planning now. And, and, and we need to come together and talk to each other on how we as Christians can help those around us. So we listen, we pray, and we help. And as we look at Jonah, Jonah's the, the counterexample, but Jonah points forward to what we stake our ultimate hope in. Jonah points forward to our God who was not unmoved by our suffering. Jesus was not apathetic towards our sin, and he was not an apathetic sacrifice. He threw himself overboard in our place. And because of his grace and his love, we are too called to awake from our apathy and graciously love others. Listen to what's going on. Pray for those who are suffering and help in any way that you can. You know, this, this moment of history is something that we are going to share stories about for the rest of our lives. You know, uh, kids and grandkids are, are going to ask us, what was it like going through the pandemic? Imagine sharing stories of generosity and grace in ways that we as a church were able to serve those in need. Imagine that this isn't just a time to share about what Netflix shows we binged or how, how exhausting Zoom meetings were, but how we prayed for and we gave and we helped those who are in need. We can be used in significant ways to not be apathetic, but to take action in the midst of this storm. So may you and may I be raised up from apathy to action. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that you are sovereign over this storm, but your sovereignty doesn't mean that we respond uh, with sentiments like akuna matata and uh, just carry on and don't worry. Your sovereignty calls us first and foremost to pray and, and even to wrestle and to ask what you're doing, why you're allowing this. And so we ask right now, God, what are you doing? Would you rise up and show us uh, your character of grace and, and love? And would you move in and, and heal the sick and comfort the grieving, strengthen those who are on the front lines? And God, will we look to the cross? Would you help us look to the cross to see the evidence that you are not an apathetic God? And so we cannot be an apathetic people. Would you help us move forward to listen to the cries of others, to cry out on their behalf, and to help in creative ways that we can, 
uh, and, and not just socially distance, but, but come up with ways that we can help in practical ways in our communities. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen.